please open your Bibles to the book of Romans, the book of Romans, and this will be part three, looking at the subject of blasphemy, which is quite simply to take the Lord's name in vain, to treat his name with contempt, with disgust, to say on the one hand, you are a Bible believer, for example, and then turn around or say and do something which dishonors him. Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 2, look at verse 21 if you will. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself that thou preachest a man should not steal, dust thou steal? Aimed of course at a Bible teacher, if you preach the full counsel of the Lord, the full oracles of the Lord, you have to take a stand. And of course your life is meant to match what you preach, otherwise you are a hypocrite. Look at verse 22. Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Have you got a statue in your house? Have you got an image in your house, a picture in your house? A few days ago, Patrick was telling me a story about a priest that he used to know who on one occasion was offering a couple counselling. And this couple were desperately trying to conceive. And after many weeks and months and perhaps years, of trying to fall pregnant, going down the IVF treatment, which is very expensive. Nothing was happening. And after several consultations with this Catholic couple and their parish priest, the meeting broke up and the woman said to the priest, uh, are you free next Monday at two o'clock? I have a proposition for you. And the priest said to the woman, well, you know our phone number, my phone number, the presbytery phone number. Give me a call. I'm always available for my parishioners. Well, lo and behold, she phoned up the priest at that particular time on that particular day. And she said to the priest, we've been having problems, as you know. It would appear my husband is unable to uh, fulfill his task as a husband. And I can't fall pregnant. We can't have a child, etc., etc., etc. Would you be prepared to assist? Would you be prepared to step up to the mark, as it were? And he said to this woman, what do you mean? And she said to him, well, could you come to my house next Thursday at half past 10 in the morning? I'll be fertile. I'll be ready for you. And this priest said, okay. And he turned up, did the deed. And nine months later, she fell pregnant, gave birth to a healthy child. The husband never knew, of course. And here's the irony of it all. Two years later, she fell pregnant with her husband and down the line had three children. Two with her husband, one with the priest. But the priest, of course didn't uh, make that public. He only told another priest and a husband never knew about it, of course. But that goes some way when you have a priest who's married to his church, so-called, is supposed to be celibate, so-called, following man-made rules. And yet when the woman stepped up or when the woman approached him for assistance, he jumped at it. Some years ago, I got an email from this Catholic lady and she said to me this, she said, uh, I need your advice. And I said, what can I do for you? And she said to me, well, I'm involved with a priest. We're both Catholic, madly in love with each other. But he won't leave the church and it's tearing us apart do you have any advice for us and i said none at all none at all you're both in a false church he's more interested in his church than you if you can't see it kick him to the gutter but it's the same sort of a thing you see look at 21 again thou therefore which teachest another teachest thou not thyself thou that preachest a man should not steal does thou steal aimed at a christian and again when you steal people see it you can steal an item, you can steal someone's property, you can plagiarise. Some years ago, a pastor was caught in America for stealing. And what happened was, he was preaching at a church somewhere in middle America, and he was plagiarising online notes, online sermon notes. A lot of these churches seem to have online notes, or they seem to prepare notes and outline. They don't do what I do, just preach off the top of my head. I've got no notes. But a lot of these churches do. They, have, they spend the whole week preparing their sermons. They have lots of notes, copious notes, and this 
pastor somewhere in middle America, I guess was drying up, wasn't sure what to preach about anymore. And he went online and he was copying and stealing, plagiarizing this other pastor's uh, sermons. And he was confronted and he was forced to resign. Stealing, theft. 22 again, thou that sayest a man or woman should not commit adultery, does thou commit adultery? Going back to the priest. He's married to his church. He takes an oath to his bishop. And the woman in question was married to, this, uh, to her husband. And they got impatient after two or three years not being able to conceive. How about adopting? How about adopting? If you're a middle class couple and you've got lots of money, or let's say you're comfortable, why not adopt? In the UK, the government will pay you to adopt a child. You get a child allowance. There's no reason not to adopt if you're married. I'm not speaking to unsaved people or single people. If you're married and you've got a nice sort of a house, a comfortable lifestyle, and you can love your child, you can offer the child love, why not adopt? A lot of couples don't want to adopt. They don't want to adopt somebody else's child. And this woman jumped the gun, called on the priest, and he stepped into the role, got her pregnant. The husband, like I say, never knew it. And down the line, amazingly, she conceived the natural way and had three children, three healthy children. But in the eyes of the Church of Rome, officially that would be blasphemy. Thou that abhorrest idols, does thou commit sacrilege? Statues, idols, images. A lot of people like to worship their pastors, their priests and their vicars. A lot of people like to line up to meet a travelling celebrity Christian. Some years ago we went to London to preach outside, maybe in Morris Corello for memory, or Corello Dollar, one of those two American evangelists. We were giving out DVDs. Hundreds, if not thousands, are lining up to go in and see one of these two charlatans. And we were giving out DVDs. I think we were able to produce 500 just giving them out willy-nilly, no money involved, of course, just giving them out as we, as we were able to, uh, freely have received, freely you shall give. And a guy came out, got his phone out, started to photograph us, called the police, called the police and went inside, complained to the security. That particular guy is worshipping men, idolising men, doesn't want to check out what they're saying. Another form of idolatry, you see. Look at 23. Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonourest thou God, a saved Jew who technically is able to observe the law, but it won't save him, of course. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you as it is written. So if you are saved, you know that people like to watch you. They will observe you. They want you to fail. They won't say it publicly, but they want you to fail because they can disprove you or they can disprove Christianity. If they can throw out this book and say it doesn't work, they have an alibi, don't they, you see? An alibi when it comes to living like they will. And disregarding what Almighty God has said and done. Go to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. The Lord will not hold you bl uh, blameless or guiltless. That taketh his name in vain. OMG, JC. How about Lordy, Lordy? Lordy, Lordy. How about heaven's sake? How about heaven's sake? How about goodness? Goodness gracious. Again, it's an acronym. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation uh, chapter 2. Look at verse 8 if you will and unto the angel of the church in smyrna write these things saith the first and the last which was dead and is alive i know thy works and tribulation and poverty but thou art rich and i know the blasphemy of them which say they are jews and are not but are the synagogue of satan go to chapter three chapter three look at verse nine please behold i'll make them of the synagogue of satan which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie, behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Now in the context, this goes back to the first century, the Nicolaitans, the clergy and the laity. Again, the Church of Rome is very typical of this, as is the Church of England. The Greek and Russian Orthodox churches have their priest system. 
But also this feeds into replacement theology. If you are a typical Protestant, or if you follow John Calvin, for example, or Martin Luther, or Huss, or Wycliffe, or Whitfield, or any of the greats from the 14th, 15th, and 16th century, even going back before that, of course, those guys all had one thing in common, and they all believed this, that the church, the body of Christ, or the state church, they were all part of a state system, even William Tyndale would believe this, that the church has replaced Israel. Israel is finished, Israel has no future a role or opportunity, no future relationship with the Lord. That's called replacement theology. And when they held to such a position and when they preach such a position, they are guilty of replacement theology. And in essence, they are offering themselves as Jews. And of course, they're not Jews. They are Gentiles. You're either Gentile, if you're unsaved, a Jew, if you're unsaved, or you are part of the body of Christ. Paul told you from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, I think it is. Go to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. Look at verse 1, please. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. This goes back to the book of Acts. This goes back to Acts chapter 12, when Herod, on one occasion, was being carried around Rome. Jerusalem to be precise, but he was from Rome, you understand. And on one occasion, people were shouting out, this is a voice of a God, not a man. And the Lord looked at that reprobate for a period of time. He was the same Herod that put the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, the same Herod that had John the Baptist beheaded, the same Herod that persecuted the early church, the same Herod that put uh, Peter and, jo uh, Peter and uh, John into prison, the same Herod who killed James, the son of Zebedee, and the Lord looked at that guy for a period of time and said, that's it, I'm sick of this. He's going around offering himself as a God, or the God, a bit like the Antichrist from Second Thessalonians chapter 2. He will go into the third temple and say that he is God. And that is also blasphemy. And the Lord struck him down with sickness. And according to Josephus, he was in great pain and agony for days. He was being eaten alive with worms. Literally eating him internally, a bit like Mark chapter 9, the worm that never dies. And the Lord looked at that blasphemer knocked him down and here the antichrist has uh, horns and crowns denoting his power base his authority and upon his heads plural the name singular blasphemy could be holy father it could be the apostle of apostles it could be the bishop of rome it could be peter the second and the beast which i saw was like unto a leopard and his feet were as the feet of a bear and his mouth as a mouth of a lion and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority the devil of course and i saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wandered after the beast. Of course, the church is long gone by now, but most of the world are going to remain, and they're going to fall for this deceiver. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? A bit like the British Empire back in the day, the most powerful country on the face of the earth, couldn't be touched. The sun never set, they said, in the British Empire. As they would say, concerning the Roman Empire, for centuries it was incredibly powerful, covered the entire world, it also covered most of Britain. Now the American military prowess is the most powerful presence on the face of the earth. America is the final world power, superpower, uh, before the Lord returns. Of course, China is getting stronger, and so too is Russia. But there's a sense of complacency, there's a sense of, well, we can't be beaten. You know, we are Americans, this is what they say all we can't be beaten, we are British, that's what they said, or we can't be beaten, we are Romans. And of course the Lord collapsed Rome, collapsed Britain, and he will collapse America. He will collapse America when he's good and ready, 
And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. Three and a half years. Three and a half years, the great tribulation. He's got power. He's got authority. The Lord has given him permission, if you will, to say and do what he will say and do. Going back to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Off he goes into the third temple. Desecrates it. Blasphemes. Almighty God and people are going to be watching this guy thinking he is the Lord Jesus Christ and he's not he's the Antichrist and he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven we are with the Lord in heaven around this time absent from the body present with the Lord it is appointed unto men once to die but after this the judgment there's no soul sleep when a saved person dies their body sleeps but their soul doesn't according to Ephesians chapter 2 if you are saved you're reigning right now with the Lord but here the Antichrist is blaspheming. He's blaspheming. He is mocking of the Lord. He's cursing of the Lord. And the Lord sits back very patiently. He would wait thousands of years before he sent the Lord Jesus Christ. And he may wait another few thousand years before he sends him back. We don't know. Of course, the rapture could be imminent. But the point is this. The Antichrist is blaspheming of the Lord. Of verse 6, he's blaspheming his tabernacle. And he's also blaspheming those that are dwelling in heaven. The redeemed, the church, which went up in uh, chapter 4, of course. And no doubt he's blaspheming the angels, the seraphims, and everyone else, and everything else. Go to chapter 16. Chapter 16. Look at verse uh, 7, if you will. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. Lord God Almighty, triune God. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun. And power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. You want to hang around for this, do you? Are you looking for the son of Satan? I'm looking for the son of God. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him his glory. This goes back to, first of all, why did the righteous suffer? But also, look at the unrighteous suffering. Sometimes it doesn't achieve anything. Most people, once they cross the point of no return, cannot be redeemed. People get sick, they are rushed to hospital. Nine times out of ten, they are drugged out of their minds. They are sedated, unable to speak or offer any kind of uh, sign or thoughts as to what is going on, how they are feeling. Of course, they can hear. They say the last sense to go is the hearing. But here you got the Lord punishing mankind. And yet it makes no difference. Instead of repenting, verse 9, they blaspheme the name of God. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seats of the beast, his power base, of course. And his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain, biting their tongues, biting their lip, as they say. And yet, look at verse 11. And blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. You would have thought around this time they'd be screaming for mercy, screaming for grace, screaming for the Lord's repentance, if you will. This is an awful picture of the second death. This is an awful picture of people in hell forever. You die as you live. If you're lost. And here this is also in reference to the first death. Luke 16 verses 19 to 31 from memory. People went into the ground upon death. Abraham's bosom. Two compartments if you will. Or somebody once said east hell and west hell. The point is this. There was one common place where the righteous and the unrighteous went upon death. It was in the ground. And they waited there. And of course the rich man is very talkative. And very communicative. And he wants out. He wants a glass of water, and there's no water coming. Look at verse 20. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. Hasn't happened yet. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, 
every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blaspheme God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. So the judgments keep on coming. The punishments keep on coming. The plagues, the pestilences, the vials, the heat, the famines, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the antichrist, the beast, it keeps on coming. And yet, of course, nobody turns to the Lord. In fact, from memory, after chapter 19 of this book, nobody gets saved. No one gets saved. They're all marked out for destruction. Chapter 19, chapter 19, look at verse 9. And he saith unto me, Write, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Hasn't happened yet. And as far as I am concerned, the only correct way to exegete the book of Revelation is to hold to the futurist position. I'm not a millennial. I'm not post-millennial. I'm not a pre-trist. I don't think this has already happened. That's the historical position. That's what Wesley held to. That's what Spurgeon held to. Of course, at times, Spurgeon would flip-flop from being historical to futurist. But the point is this. Verse 9 hasn't yet happened. Look at verse 10. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. Daniel is speaking to John, and he says, Don't you worship me, don't you dare worship me. That's blasphemy. Get off your knees. When Catholics go to the Vatican, they get on their knees, they either kiss the Pope's ring, or back in the good old days, or the bad old days, would kiss his slipper, kiss his foot so i got footage of jack kennedy and his wife going to the vatican back in 1963 they're almost on their knees i've seen pictures of clinton bush and bush senior the two bushes and bill clinton on their knees in vatican square vatican uh, city when john paul ii was on display for the world to see he just died of course three american presidents on their knees that's blasphemy the secretary of states at the time a good old baptist woman her father was a pastor Condoleezza Rice, on her knees. Laura Bush, an atheist, on her knees. What's going on here? That's blasphemy. Fell at his feet to worship him. Worship him. John is a saved man. This is very reminiscent to when Daniel was overcome and allowed, or I won't say allowed, but he was in the presence of Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar was the one that was overcome, went down on his knees to worship Daniel. And Daniel was shocked to see the most powerful man on the face of the earth worshipping him on his knees. But that too is blasphemy. Only God is worthy to be worshipped. What the Lord Jesus Christ say, you call me Master and Lord, and so I am. He would receive worship time after time. Is it John chapter 9 or John chapter 10? He heals a blind man. And the blind man comes looking for him and he says, who is this son of God? Who is the son of God? And the Lord says to him, I am the son of God. He goes down and worships the Lord. Doesn't correct him. Doesn't correct him. How about Thomas? John chapter 21, is it? No, make it John chapter 20. John chapter 20. The Lord has been late if you will to reveal himself to thomas thomas is a good picture of the church waiting for the lord to return and thomas walks into the upper room sees the lord gets down in his knees after feeding the nail marks in his hands and his feet and he says my lord and my god doesn't correct him see thou do it not why not i am thy fellow servants i'm a fellow jew of course this time daniel has been glorified could be one of the 24 elders as well and of thy brethren fellow jew obviously that have the testimony of Jesus, the commission, the authority, the belief, if you will, of Jesus. Worship God. That's the point of this. Worship God. Don't worship your pastor, your priest, or the Pope, or this or that church. Worship God in spirit and in truth, because God is a spirit. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So you see it time after time, the warning. 
not to worship people or places. Go to chapter 22, but to worship Almighty God. Revelation 22. Revelation 22. Now it really gets serious. Revelation 22. Look at verse 18, if you will. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. It is blasphemy to say that the Lord is all-powerful, and yet is unable to protect his book, and to have three or four, five or six, seven or eight, nine or ten translations, and you bounce back and forth from all of those translations, and you go to different Greek texts, and you become your own final authority. That is blasphemy. Either every word of God is true from the very beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever, or that's not true. Either thy word is truth, or it's not. Either the scripture cannot be broken, or it can be broken. Different terms of blasphemy, different definitions of blasphemy. It's not just lordy lordy. It's not just heavens above. It's not just JC. You can say you are a Bible believer, and then turn around and correct the King James Bible. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book in the context of Revelation, which is ridiculed, rubbished, and mocked by a lot of professing Christians. If any man or woman shall add unto these things... God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Pretty clear. And if any man or woman shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, you start to tamper with the book of Revelation or the Bible in general, that's blasphemy. God shall take away his part out of the book of life, could be the Lamb's book of life, and out of the holy city, thousand year reign, and from the things which are written in this book. And I'll say this, this could possibly be I don't quote me, but this could be this could quite possibly be one of the most clearest verses to a potential loss of salvation. I won't go beyond that. I don't know. I've heard people preach these verses and say, no, it's aimed at unsaved people. It's not aimed at saved people, it's aimed at unsaved people. But I'm not sure about that. Why would unsaved people want to mess around with the Bible? Why would unsaved people lose their millennial uh, their millennial inheritance? Unsaved people are lost. But a lot of religious people are very interested in the Bible. James White, of course, even John MacArthur, he has multiple translations. He even corrects his Greek translation, his Greek text. He corrects the NIV, he corrects the New King James, he corrects the ESV. As far as I'm concerned, and I'll say this one final time, this verse is very difficult to exegete. Now, I do believe in once saved, always saved. I believe in eternal security. But when I think about people messing around with the Bible, adding books into the Bible, like the Apocryphal, taking them out, killing Christians over the centuries for reading the Bible... I just wonder sometimes if they're going to lose their salvation. I don't know. Go to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Look at verse 12. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, and your nay nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. The cross-reference is Matthew chapter 5. And go there, please. Matthew chapter 5. Some years ago, the Canadian Prime Minister was doing Prime Minister's Questions. They get that from the UK, of course. And he sat down and was speaking to one of his aides, and he blasphemed. And he didn't realise that the mic picked him up, picked up the blasphemy. I forget what he said. It may have been JC or OMG. It may have been Harper, from memory. Prime Minister Harper. I may be wrong. This was some years ago, maybe five or six, seven or eight years ago, or thereabouts. And amazingly, this made the papers, this made the press... And he was confronted after PMQs. 
And he said to the press, he said, yes, I was wrong. I did blaspheme, blah, blah, blah. I've got an elderly aunt who phoned me up, who's a devout Christian, and she clipped my wings. It will never happen again. And it didn't. To his word, it didn't happen again. He owned up. Now, he would probably say he was a Christian. Most people do. And he'd probably say, I go to church every Sunday. Most people in Canada do, in America especially. And yet when the mics were recording, OMG or JC, and his, his elderly aunt picked up the phone, phoned him up, rebuked him. That's a brave woman, uh, rebuking the prime minister. And he repented. And he said, I, haven't, uh, I won't do it again. I didn't mean to do it. I wasn't aware that the microphones were still left on. And he came clean. He came clean. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 33, if you will. Again, ye have heard that it has been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is a footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Like, I swear to heaven, or I swear to God, as God is my witness, this is what people say. They are swearing to a higher authority. Look at it again. Again, verse 33, ye have heard that it hath been said of them of old time, or by them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. You take an oath to the Lord, you have to fulfill it. Back in the Old Testament, I can't think where it is from the top of my head, if a woman, if a wife took an oath in the presence of her husband, she was able to, or he was able to cancel it out. He had the authority to cancel it out, to cancel it. But for the most part, even when someone took an oath, they had, they had to fulfill it. They had to see it through. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is a city of the great king. You can't swear via heaven or Jerusalem, and if you do, you're in trouble. Look at verse 36. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head. Because thou canst not make one hair white or black. Don't even swear by yourself. People say, I swear my children's life. Have you heard that one? I swear by my children's life. I swear on my mother's life, they say. I swear on my father's life. I swear on my kid's life. That's what they say. You can't do it. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. So both testaments make the case very clearly that you're not to swear. Take the name of the Lord in vain. You can't swear by him or... On his authority, because he is holy and you are not. Go to Philippians chapter 2. And every time people swear by the name of the Lord or promise something. say They say, I swear to God, or as God is my witness. They're blaspheming him. They are blaspheming him. Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. And given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven. And things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Imagine getting down on your knees every time somebody blasphemed the name of the Lord. You'd be on your knees all the time, wouldn't you? Some years ago, I was in Manchester doing some outreach. And I could hear this caravan coming towards me, this wall of noise coming towards me. A mother with three children under the age of 10. And they were saying, OMG, 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 like 25 times. I'm not exaggerating. And I was giving out tracts and I turned around and I could see this woman walking up with three children. And they were shocked to see this wheel. That's what it was, a wheel. The London Eye has one. Sheffield has a wheel, an eye. That's what they call it. Most circuses have a wheel. The big wheel, that's what they call it, the big wheel. And these kids, OMG, OMG, OMG. And I turned around. I wanted to catch the mother's 
face. I wanted to have my word or have my say with her. And she wouldn't make eye contact with me. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And I was really getting grieved. I mean, I'm pretty thick-skinned when it comes to certain things. But like I said a few weeks ago, when it comes to blasphemy, I really can't stand it. When it comes to idolatry or having a God in one's own image, I can't stand it. Those are the sorts of things that really grieve me. And I wanted to make contact with this woman. I wanted to clip her wings. But how do you confront a stranger? How do you confront a stranger? What do you say to a stranger? Watch what you're saying. Well, how do you say to a stranger? Can you shut your children's mouths? Of course you can't. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, look at verse 1. To everything there is a season and a time, to every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. Sometimes you have to button it. Sometimes you have to suffer with the Lord. Sometimes you have to just allow the world to be the world. You can't challenge people all of the time. You can't put up blasphemers all of the time. Sometimes you want to do so, and sometimes you will do so. Other times you won't do so. On that occasion, I wanted to make eye contact with the woman in question. Wasn't able to. She wasn't prepared to look at me. And her kids were oblivious to who we were and what we were doing. They got that from their parents, you see. Last week, I went out for a walk, and I walked past a house not far from here. A run-down area. A feral area, I guess. And as I was walking past these row of houses, this woman came out of the house... I'd say she was 60-something, probably a grandmother, and this young boy came out, and she was talking to him. And as I was getting nearer to the house on my route back home, she said, where are my effing slippers? Where are my effing slippers? I want my effing slippers. I thought, terrible. Walked past the house, made no eye contact with him, of course. And I thought, that poor kid, he's no more than 10, 11 or 12, has to listen to that probably every day. He's probably used to it by now anyway. He goes to school, uses that language at school. The teachers have to hear it. The other kids have to hear it. He will leave junior school, go to high school, probably college, if he's that bright, or university, if he's really that bright, and the language will deteriorate. He's got it from his grandmother, and she probably got it from her mother, going back to, if we're not careful, we will repeat the sins of our forefathers, going back to the third and the fourth generation. The consequences are going to follow. And this woman, this foul-mouthed grandmother, speaking like that to her grandson, thought nothing of it, going back to the woman in Manchester some years ago with her children, blasphemes, OMG, JC, and a whole lot worse. There are terms that I won't even use that are really blasphemous. There was a film made, I think, four or five years ago, uh, directed by Martin Scorsese, a good old Catholic boy. In fact, when he was younger, he wanted to be a priest, as did uh, Robert De Niro, amazingly enough. And this film, I forget what it's called, I haven't watched it, nor would I want to, um, has the most blasphemy ever. Somebody did a count-up, I don't know why, but they did. And they worked out that the F word was used 400 times. The C word was used 200 times. Uh, JC was used 500 times. Uh, OMG was used 300 times. And I thought, wow, this is incredible. 50 years ago, you couldn't get a film like that to be released. Once the Hays Code came in back in the 1940s, Hollywood were very careful what they could and couldn't say. But this film made just a few years ago 
by a good old Catholic boy. And you what, 20 dies, he'll have a whole requiem mass. Mm. He won't get some secular burial. He'll get a nice Catholic burial, like all these Catholic gangsters do. And he directed a film, and the scriptwriter, probably a Catholic, if the truth were known, wanted to really push the boundaries. JC, OMG, F this, F that, C this, C that. Filthiness. It's blasphemy. And unfortunately, kids watch these movies, they listen to the recordings, the songs online, the music videos online, which are watched by millions. I mean, millions. One video of an artist whose name escapes me has had 400 million views. 400 million views. Kids of all ages watching these rap videos, these gangster videos, these kids dressing like prostitutes and just getting indoctrinated, brainwashed with filthy language. Politicians now are now cursing on camera. Going back to the Canadian Prime Minister. Politicians in the UK are using four-letter words. The Environmental Secretary in the UK, a professing Christian, was in the House of Commons last week, used a four-letter word. And the Speaker said, that's okay. That's one's preference. That's one's preference. And yet, had he used the N-word, he would have been kicked out. Had he used any other term or description which wasn't politically correct, out on his ear. But you can blaspheme, that seems to be okay. You can use four-letter words, that seems to be okay. And this is how it's going to be from now on. Unfortunately, we have to get used to it because the world is going to get worse, not better. Going back to why I'm a futurist, I don't see any hope outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are a blasphemer, you need to quit it. If you are a saved person, and yes, saved people do blaspheme, you may not say OMG all the time. You may not say JC all the time. You may not say Lordy, Lordy all the same. You may not say this or that, but you may blaspheme in other ways. That Catholic priest could have been a Protestant priest, a Protestant pastor. That pastor who was stealing people's uh, sermons could have been a Baptist, could have been an Independent, could have been an Evangelical, could have been anyone anywhere. How about idolatry? Those two reprobates that we covered uh, in London some years ago, it could have been Catholics uh, that were there putting on a show. Could have been Greek or Russian Orthodox people. This is also trans-testimonial, trans-cultural, inter-testimonial as well, interdenominational as well. It's not just Protestants or Catholics that are guilty of this. Sometimes the entire body of Christ potentially has the ability to be guilty of sinning. Going back to the Apostle John, saved, and yet in the presence of Daniel, he's overcome, and he's worshipping Daniel. And Daniel says, get up. Later on, when Cornelius would come into the presence of uh, Peter, he too would go down in his knees. And Peter grabs him and said, get up. I'm just a man as you are. So if John could fail, Revelation 19, we just looked at it, and if Daniel could fail, or could fail back in the book of Daniel with Nebuchadnezzar, I can fail. You can fail. We can all fail. And that's why we hold to once saved, always saved. Because that's like a safety trap. If you're saved, you are saved. And God will keep you saved. And if you fall into error, if you go down a wrong route, and we've all done it in different ways over the years, and we'll do it probably in the future in different ways. And if we weren't to repent of that, sometimes we forget what we do. And as a result of that, the Lord has to keep us saved. That's the reason why eternal security is found in the scripture. It's not for the good and the godly, those that stay on track, those that don't stray from their husbands or their wives or don't cook the books or don't start to steal people's notes or become guilty of idolatry. The reason why eternal security is found in the scripture is to save people who are saved, to keep them saved. Because if I know myself, I'm no good and I could have lost my salvation 17 years ago when I first got saved and many times since and many times in the future. Praise the Lord, we are safe and kept safe. But when it comes to blasphemy, and if it, if it becomes a persistent sin of blasphemy, there's a right, there's a possibility that you may lose your millennial inheritance. Going back to what I said last week, 
by the time we finish this study, I want to make the case as clear as I can that none of us are going to just breeze into the judgment seat of Christ, just breeze into heaven without anything to be concerned about. We will, you know, we will all have lots to answer for. And I just hope and pray that for those of us which are saved, it will be the least minimal and not too painful, not too much to have to answer for.